Lord, other than what you have revealed to us in your word, there's nothing we can know about your judgments or your ways. Your ways are far above ours. And yet, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to give his life that we might live forever grateful. We are so thankful. Lord, as we look into your word today, may it strengthen and encourage and bless. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Please be seated. So, Dr. M.R. Dehan, he was a medical doctor who later in life became a pastor. You probably know who he is through his radio show, or perhaps you read Our Daily Bread. Anyway, he tells the story of a man who was visiting Norway and looking at the churches there, and at one church, there was a lamb carved on the side of the building in a seemingly odd place. You go to churches, they're very symmetrical. This one seemed out of place. So he was surprised, and so he asked uh, the vicar, uh, why in the world is that lamb there? Of course, this church is a thousand years old, so whatever is said next is somewhat uh, just from the... uh, history of of the place, and he said that there was a stonemason who was on the side of the building working on the church when he lost his balance and he fell. And his co-workers rushed down, fully expecting to find him dead, but to their surprise and joy, he was alive, in fact, slightly injured only. How did he survive? Well, there was a flock of sheep passing beside the church at the time, and he landed on top of a lamb. The lamb broke his fall, but, of course, killed, but the man was saved. And so as as an act of thankfulness, from the spot from which he fell, uh, he carved a lamb. Similarly, we, each one of us, were or are like that workman falling to our death. Nothing but doom awaiting us. It's what we deserve. But for some already, and for some perhaps yet to come, the grace of God intervened or perhaps will intervene in your behalf. And it was a perfect lamb who was sent to break our fall. One of the things that we learn about the book of John at the end of the book is a, like a hypothetical statement where, where John says that if all the books were written about the words and the works or the things that Jesus Christ had done, the entire earth could not contain them. I don't know if you've ever thought about that as it relates to the word of God that we uh, do have, but if 
uh, there is a world full of things that could have been written. We have to pay special attention to those things that have been written. In other words, it's very selective and going towards where we are in the first chapter of John we need to look very carefully at what John the Baptist says about Jesus. The first thing he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb. I mean, uh, when you think of uh, the Lamb, our minds, if we do the year through the Bible, or even if we don't, if we attended Sunday school, there are certain things that immediately come to our uh, mind. The first being uh, Abraham. Abraham was asked to leave Ur and go to a place he did not know and dwell among a people who were not his own. And God separated Abraham from his uh, past. And in this particular story in Genesis 22, it appeared as if he was about to separate him from his future. Isaac, the son of promise, his only son. That's in Genesis 22, 6 or 8. I'll read it for you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took in his hand the fire and the knife so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. That question that Isaac asked has echoed through the ages. It, and it still echoes today for those who do not know him. The question is, where is the lamb? So given that every word in Scripture is essential, we want to be careful to note Abraham's response to Isaac. God will provide for himself, the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. It, I mean, it's without question that John has this in his mind. You understand that outside of our context, in the Jewish context, these are stories that were so uh, built in that they were a part of the very thinking uh, process. And so it's with that in mind that we read in John 1, Verses 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he 
who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There's a lot of information in here that we want to take a look at. We can't get to it all. But one of the fascinating things about the Greek language is that order, word order, doesn't matter very much in terms of making sense out of what the sentence says. In English, we're almost entirely dependent on the word uh, order. And in uh, Greek, that's not the case. There are suffixes uh, that tell us uh, what word goes with what. And so when we read this, and the reason that's done is that in Greek, you can emphasize certain things that in English it's harder to see. And so what we have here is the, the genitive case. That is the case that shows possession. And we do that in English in several ways. One is we'll say of something, in this case the Lamb of God, or we can use an apostrophe S, God's Lamb. In this case, the original puts God first and Lamb second. In other words, the reader is designed to understand that this is God's provision of uh, the Lamb. And we see that. Where's the Lamb? Here is the Lamb. John the Baptist answers that for us 2,000 years ago. Any uh, Jew of that time would have known that this uh, Lamb Uh, was not only the provision, but also the sacrifice, because he had some other things in his mind as well. Uh, Students of the Bible recognize this. You know, by the time you were 13, you you knew these stories so that you could tell them uh, to others. And that certainly is, behold the lamb. What you understand here in the text, the Passover was near. And it was impossible for him to say, behold the lamb, and not make a connection with the, the Passover. So the Passover occurred every year in Israel. And we know, or at least have some familiarity with the Passover story, the tenth and final plague, the death of the, the firstborn. You have Pharaoh who was hardened in his heart, and Moses was doing everything in his power to let him uh, allow the children of Israel to go. And so it is in Exodus uh, 12, 12 and 13. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I will execute judgments on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So God instructed the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and then to take the blood from that sacrifice and put it on the doorposts of the house so that when the uh, angel of death uh, saw the blood on the post, he would uh, pass over them. I mean, literally, pass over means to pass uh, over. And the blood of the sacrificial lamb is what would protect the homes. I mean, we can hear uh, the echoes of that 
conversation because this was done in a hurry, this particular piece. You know, children are, you know, we have to, we have to get the lamb. We have to get it here. We have to prepare it for the sacrifice. And I can easily hear the child, where is the lamb? Echoes to Abraham, echoes to the Exodus. And John would have known this. And everyone around would have known this so that when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God who can protect you and guard you and build a shield around you, behold, the Lamb. I mean, we see this in John's writing, of course, all the way through the book of Revelation. Uh, One of my favorite texts there is when John is carried to to heaven and he's told that the lion of Judah is uh, there and he turns around and he sees a lamb. Now uh, Isaiah understood uh, and all, so all the Jews understood this as, as well that for sin to re- be removed and not just covered there had to be a special lamb one that God himself would provide. So Isaiah 53 3 through 7 He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Just my my heart even at this moment reflects back on our worship service where what kind of people would it take to mock anybody the way Jesus Christ was mocked at that trial, uh, much less our uh, Lord. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Behold the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Therefore, if sin is to be removed, there has to be his sacrifice. There's no one else. There is nothing else. There is no other name given unto men humanity by which we must be saved. And and you understand this, John's words were absolutely startling. Now, they're not startling to us because we've had 2,000 years of Christian history. But when he said them, this rocked the people because he said, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of Israel. Uh, Wait, (laughs) That's not what it says. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Never, never 
in ancient Jewish thinking, other than the onesies or twosies who got it, were the sins of anyone but Israel to be forgiven. You would barely be able to make it to the outskirts of that kind of kingdom uh, thinking. But John blasts it away right there. Earth-shattering truth, and they didn't want to hear it. They were God's people to be died for, not the Gentiles. In verses 31 and 32, we have this interesting passage here. Uh, I don't think that John is necessarily telling us that he didn't know Jesus or who Jesus was. A fascinating uh, story. You know, from antiquity, who knew? But from antiquity, the story of Zechariah, uh, and when I say antiquity, this particular story comes from the middle of the second century. In other words, you're within a hundred years of the, the writings of the Gospels and, and before. So this is very early. When it says that Herod uh, sent out the soldiers to kill the infants, the word there he uses is region. So we limit this to Bethlehem. This was by no means limited to Bethlehem. The exact same word is used in another context when he said that, that Jesus was going around the lands of Zebulon and Naphtali. In other words, there was an, a net that was cast across these little communities around Jerusalem and Zechariah would have been caught up. And the tradition says he would not reveal the location of John and he was killed. Of course, at that time, you know, Jesus was in Egypt. And the thing is, I can't in any way in my imagination, knowing the Middle East the way that I do, knowing biblical culture the way I do, that these two cousins did not know each other. But that's just me. The text says he didn't know. But does that mean that I don't have a, a possible way to understand this when he baptized jesus and the holy spirit descended on him like a dove and rested on him john knew him and identified him as the lamb of god the son of god i think they likely knew each other but i don't think that's what john was driving at john I don't believe was saying he didn't know who Jesus was. I believe what he was saying is he didn't know who Jesus was. There's a huge difference between knowing that some of you in here know the historical facts about Jesus. You believe that he lived and he walked the earth. You may even believe that he did miracles. You may even believe that he's a wonderful teacher. You may even believe that he is the Messiah. But there's a huge difference between believing that and saying, behold, the lamb who takes away my sin, the one who takes away the harm that's within me and the harm that I've done. It's a far cry from saying who Jesus is to trusting in Christ as Savior. There is a way that we can know Jesus and not know him at all. And I think this is what John was, was talking about. He was talking about not knowing that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And in fact, this text, if you ever wondered why John was baptizing, the text explains it clearly. It says that John was baptizing so that the Messiah could be revealed to Israel. That's the reason he was. I don't think John knew. Here we have uh, God sending uh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that made it visible, certainly for John to see, perhaps for others as well. And when we when we look at this, I think verse 33 tells us a couple of really uh, great things that Jesus uh, does for us that's found in, in this text. They're consistent and they also take place at the same time. So John uh, says, as we've mentioned, that Jesus as the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Now, we have to understand that when John uses the word world here, he's, he's not talking about the earth. In the same way that when Isaiah talks about Jerusalem, he's not talking about a city that is brick and mortar. He's talking about the community of faith within that city. He's talking about uh, things that when he uses the world, he's not talking about the ground. He's not talking about the wood. He's talking about people. He's talking about all of us. And John says that these people that he's come to save come from all walks of life, all ethnic backgrounds, all societal categories from all over the world will be saved by Jesus Christ. Now, by saying that, he doesn't mean that everyone in the world will be saved. That's, we'll save that discussion for another time. But nevertheless, the, the net is not simply Israel. It is the whole of the world. The second thing here to notice is that John baptized in water. It is so clear, water, 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 water. But here we get to a place where we find that Jesus will not baptize with water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In the same way that Jesus was marked from heaven by the dove as it came on him and rested on him, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Both of these things, the taking away of sin when we believe, the baptizing of the Holy Spirit, they take place when Jesus is acknowledged as a Savior. All true Christians who have been forgiven their sins have also been baptized with the Holy Spirit because that's the mark. That is the thing that, get, that grants us e eternal life. That's the thing that puts us in right relationship with uh, God. There are other passages. In fact, I'll, I'll read a couple of them here about the Holy Spirit is given by Jesus provides the recipient with eternal life. John 6, uh, 63, which we'll, you know, we'll be getting to these texts uh, later on in the year. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then uh, John 3, 3 through 6, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And the Spirit does what it wants to. So in Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. And it, it just simply... The wind comes and goes as it as it wishes. And we shall see God. Randy Alcorn shares this remarkable story that Spurgeon wrote. So Spurgeon was only 23 years old at the time. So this was in 1857. Uh, Barb and I, when we went to England, uh, London for a bit, we, we saw this place, didn't know what it was, but it was perhaps you've been there, the the uh, the Crystal Palace. What an amazing, uh, just an amazing uh, place. And so let me read to you what Spurgeon says. So a day or two before preaching at the Crystal Palace, I went to decide where the platform should be fixed. Now, get this, get this. Can you turn my mic off for a second? Okay, so it's off? All right, so I... This, at maximum, in here, I would be addressing about 300 people if, if everything was, was full. Now, it's possible, if I projected my voice, that I could reach maybe 900 people. We could probably do that if the acoustics were right. Okay, you can turn me back on. Spurgeon was speaking to 23,000 people with just his voice. That, that's a powerful set of lungs. And so what he did, he was preaching from this text, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What he didn't know, and he, he went on and on, because he, he was trying to figure out where the best place was and the acoustics was, there was a, a worker up in the rafters down in one of the corners. He didn't know he was up there at all. This guy's up on a beam, you know, and, and, and he keeps hearing over and over and over again, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then after about the 30th time, the Spirit of God came to this man on this beam in the crystal palace off in the corner that Spurgeon didn't even know was there and convicted his heart. He put down his tools. He went home and he found peace and trusted Christ as his Savior. Now, the man tells us this the man relayed this story uh, later in his life. And we understand what we're looking at here is that the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit wants to do when he wants to do it. And it's the Holy Spirit in your heart that gives you life. We're all concerned, and rightly so, because there are other texts that deal with it, the Spirit giving us power. But before you have power, you have to be breathing. 
You have to be alive, and the Spirit gives life. Now, we've got to understand what we're looking at here in this text. John the Baptist is physically baptizing people. So if you were there in that time and you saw him do this, you would see him uh, dunk somebody under the water uh, in the river. That's what the people saw. People repented, and he would uh, baptize them. Just a word about this word, baptism. Again, it's a Greek word. The translators decided there was so much controversy about it uh, that they wouldn't translate the word. So they just said, well, okay, a B, let's make it a B, and, and so forth and so on. So uh, baptism comes from the Greek word uh, baptizo, which is I uh, baptize. So how was that word used? I'll tell you how it was used. It was used when a, when a ship sank in the ocean or in a lake, that ship was baptized. When you dyed clothes, which we don't do anymore, but we did when I was growing up. Some of you guys remember that, right? You, you know, you, when you dye clothes, what do you do? Dip the corner in? Well, that might get you some tie-dye, but it's not going to dye the clothes. You push it under. You squeeze it. You soak it. And this is the same way that the Holy Spirit comes into us. It doesn't occupy the tip of your little finger. It occupies you and gives you, you are saturated with the Spirit of God and you are given life. And so as we're, as we're reading this, what we're seeing here in the text is literally the pinnacle of John's ministry. Because after this, John decreases and Jesus increases. And those are the words that John said, and the world has never been the same since then. It was from this declaration that John's disciples left him and followed Jesus. So you have a, uh, these stories that talk about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it sums up, it sums up so much. The immense love of Christ, the extraordinary sacrifice, the horrific suffering of Jesus Christ, all in this one rich, beautiful, meaningful phrase. In attempting to sum up the book of John, what it is, these things were written what? So that you might believe. Okay, so to believe or not to believe, uh, barb that together for us, and it will remind us of what the book is about every time we look at it. But when I was a student at the University of Alaska in the, in the late uh, 70s, most of the work that I did was seasonal. So I would work in the summer, try to collect enough money to be able to go to school in the, in the fall and the spring, because in Alaska... If you did painting and roofing, you didn't work. So my friend Myron and I, we started a business together. It's called Tillrich Painting, Tillery Richardson. Tillrich, we always said we we're going to work till we're rich. <laughs> Never happened. So one summer, we were roofing a, a two-story uh, building. And uh, I was laying the shingles, and, and Myron was cutting the edge, the edge line. And one of uh, Barbara's uh, friends, I, th I think at the time probably her uh, best friend, 
but Glenda, she was uh, helping us to work, make a little extra money, so she was tossing me the shingles, and I was I was putting them down. So I was focused because you know when you're when you're laying shingles, you get, they got to get them straight. Otherwise, you got these curvy lines all over the roof. So you got to get them straight. So I'm focused on that, and Glenda screams. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm, you're not expecting to scream. It, it, it makes you jerk. And when you're on a slanted roof, that's not a good thing. I almost come off the roof. She's staring, and so I followed her gaze, and there was nothing there. Nothing there to include my friend Myron. He had silently, without a sound, plummeted off the edge of this two-story building. And so I ran up the roof one side, I ran down the other, clambered down the, the ladder that got down to the porch, and screaming for Myron the whole time, Glinda was close behind, and I went as fast as I could, and honestly, my expectation was to find him uh, dead on uh, the ground. Not only was he not dead, he was standing there. Trying to just say, you know, I'm okay, I'm okay. It knocked the breath out of him, right? And and I'm like, how is this possible? Now, a 25-foot fall, it will ordinarily put you at least in the emergency room, maybe the hospital for a couple of days, a little bit higher, five, ten more feet, and you're, you know, you're toasted. Uh, I said, how is this possible? And why would I say, how is this possible? Is it? Some of you may have fallen from distance before and got up and walked off. I don't know. But that entire yard, it was a construction site. There was nothing but concrete, rubble, blocks, and rebar sticking up here and sticking up there. And there was one place that a man with a backhoe for whatever reason, I don't know what was going to go there, but had scraped out a little Myron-sized spot and softened up the dirt, and that's where he fell. I, 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 literally a foot to the right, a foot to the left, a foot further behind or forward, and Myron would have died or been seriously, seriously injured that day. In any other context, Myron would not have lived. The same is true for you and for me. All the belief systems, all the things that we cling to, the things that we hold to are nothing but rebar and concrete blocks. And we're headed headlong toward them. And there's only one thing that will break our fall and that is to give our lives to Jesus Christ. And that place that he created, I believe, in my heart for Myron or for that man who fell off the scaffold, I believe he has created for you. A place just for you, and it's not by accident, and it's not by happenstance. It is deliberate and it is with precision that he catches you, that he redeems you, and that he gives you life. Father, behold the Lamb 
that takes away the sins of the world. We stand amazed in your presence. Because the thing is, if all the people around Jesus knew that, Jesus knew it more than anybody. Lord, all he had to do was just keep on going down the river. He did not. He knew the sacrifice. He knew. He did not resist what John said. He did not say, oh, no, I'm not the Lamb of God. Lord, from that moment, John's disciples followed him. He knew. He understood. It always strikes me in the heart when I realize that he died specifically, intentionally, with forethought and design for me and for all those in the sound of my voice. Lord, if there's one who has not trusted you today, may today be the day that your spirit moves through the rafters and at the sound of behold the lamb, they come to you. Through Christ our Lord, we ask it. Amen.